lot of people there could not accept that a black man was running their football team. That isn't supposed to happen in America. There hadn't been any black presidents. No governors were black. There weren't many black congressmen. So here was a black guy who was in complete control of the Tampa Bay Bucks. That just didn't sit right with a lot of folks. Doug Williams, 1990. And welcome back to part two of our panel discussion, Behind the Chains, the mis-evaluation of the black quarterback, which is a 360 discussion on the uniqueness of being a black quarterback and the constant struggle to succeed against a stacked deck. Joining us on this panel, as always, Chris James. You can follow him on Twitter at CJ49. Gene Clemens at Gene Clemens, Teron Davenport at T Davenport underscore NFL, and Brandon Howard of Sports Talk Florida. You can follow him on Twitter at B Howard underscore 81. And Brandon, I'll let you kick this one off. All right. So what I wanted to discuss was the double standard and road to acceptance for black quarterbacks uh, and mobile quarterbacks. But, um, you know, I guess a more uh, fitting phrase would be, you know, the moving goalpost, uh, so to speak, when it comes to quarterbacks um you know to, to mobile quarterbacks or black quarterbacks so um you know i just wanted to, to kind of turn it over to to you all what are some i guess essentially something that you could see as you know a moving goalpost when it comes to to black quarterbacks positional use uh i'll give an example by the following there were two quarterbacks who happened to play in the great state of texas in college who due to another person having the position had to play receiver. Once it was realized that they might be better options or had the job that they won, both performed fairly well. One actually performed better than the other. Uh, but one, it was actually used as a positive, and I actually remember hearing that this gentleman, well, he, he, he's a good enough athlete where he was actually able to play receiver, and uh, so, so he can utilize that on the next level. And the other guy, as you all have actually talked about him earlier, was asked questions about him moving to wide receiver to play on the next level. The first guy went eighth overall, and his name is Ryan Tannehill. And if you watch <laughs> Ryan Tannehill's tape, especially when it mattered, it, it never looked good. He didn't complete passes, he threw picks, he did all sorts of things wrong, and Trayvon Boykin is the other guy. And it really felt like Trayvon Boykin in pressure situations thrived. So why is Trayvon Boykin's, you know, ability to have played another position and transferred back to being quarterback and doing it quite well seems a negative to where he didn't even go near the first round, but it's played up so well. Why is that the, the way that things are kind of looked at in two completely similar situations? Yeah, it's crazy because if, even if you want to go even deeper with that TCU thing, you look at Andy Dalton, playing in the same exact offense as Trayvon Boykin, putting up similar numbers as Trayvon Boykin, and there was never a question on whether or not Andy Dalton would be playing in the slot, you know, or would he ran the 40, even though Andy Dalton is a tremendous athlete. It's just that, you know, Trayvon Boykin is a better athlete, and his rushing numbers may look a little bit better, but they are essentially the same if you look them up. So I just think that is the biggest double standard. One can – Two people can be doing the same job and one is viewed differently than the other. Again, if it's all about winning, look at Vince Young's numbers juxtaposed to Kerry Collins' numbers in that offense. But look at Vince Young's performance uh, in those big games, in those big moments, in saving Jeff Fisher's job juxtaposed to Kerry Collins, who 
didn't do what he was supposed to do as a veteran, as a guy that, that took over for a quote-unquote struggling Vince Young. So I just hate that we could both be doing the same job and looked at completely different. I think the moving goalposts here is the verbiage, is how we are um, discussed when it comes to, you know, when it comes to something as small as, like, say, completion percentage. A, a, a black quarterback will many times be called inaccurate, and there won't be any caveats to the inaccuracy um, because maybe he might be in an offense that, that forces him to throw the ball down the field more. It'll just be left out there, oh, he's inaccurate. He's below 60%. 60% seems to be this miracle, magical number that you have to be able to complete over in order to be considered a good quarterback. But we all know that completion percentage is completely and totally based on what type of passes you're asked to throw on a, on a regular basis. And so if you're not asked to throw, you know, balls 25, 30, 40, 50 yards down the field, which we know by statistics on a grander scale over years and years are going to be more inaccurate than those of 5, 10, 15 yards, then you're going to have a lesser completion percentage than somebody who's, who's throwing the ball short. We just decide that, hey, you know, because – um, because a quarterback throws for 65, 70%, they're good. They're accurate. We don't take into consideration that their offense is a check down Charlie offense. And all they have to do is stand around and throw the ball to backs or, um, tight ends crossing or hitch routes. Whereas when Cam Newton first came into the league, he threw for over 4,000 yards and yes, he was under 60%. But if you look at the balls he was throwing, he was throwing deep balls left and right. He was throwing deep. He was throwing posts and digs and fades. He was doing a lot of play action and pressing the ball down the field because they were taking advantage of, the, of his ultimate weapon, which is this cannon arm that he could unleash at any point in time. And you just didn't see that when you looked at some of these other quarterbacks who um, may have had better completion percentage numbers but ended their seasons with, 28, 2,900 yards, 3,300 yards, 3,500 yards. Cam Newton was over 4,000. I think when you look at that, that's the moving goalpost. You see that completion percentage, and they go, oh, his completion percentage isn't high. He's inaccurate. And they don't give any caveats as to why that inaccuracy is happening or why that number is what it is. For me, I'm just going to go to the 1978 draft, right? And it's it's interesting because you have the thing, right? You know the show that they do, the Brady Six NFL Network. They they spotlight the six quarterbacks who were drafted. Now the key word here is drafted before Tom Brady, right? They spotlight that. I'm gonna read a couple names to you, okay? Mark Miller, Bowling Green. Gifford Nielsen, BYU. Pete Woods, Missouri. Mark Mangus, Maryland. Rob Hertel, USC. Mike Reeker from Lehigh. Have you guys heard of any of them? The answer is no. Have you heard of Warren Moon? Obviously, you have. He's a Hall of Famer. Warren Moon was undrafted. Warren Moon was told 
that he would have to move to cornerback. And instead of moving to cornerback, he moved to the CFL and found the success that he found there. That in itself shows you the double standard that exists when you talk about quarterbacks, when you talk about a black quarterback. Warren Moon was very successful at Washington. There's no reason, especially in what was the draft back then, 12 rounds, there is no reason Warren Moon should not have been drafted. But the fact of the matter is he, he wasn't because of this double standard that exists. And why it exists is, is, is simple. It goes back to something we talked about earlier. It's not accepted for a guy who doesn't look like a lot of these people to be the leader of a franchise. And that, that's the bottom line. There is no reason whatsoever that Warren Moon should have had to go to the CFL and excel the way he had just to get a chance to, to enter the NFL. I mean, that's the bottom line. You all brought up some very, very good examples. And the, the ones that I have are, are very, very simple. Um, who can forget Gil Brandt's tweets compare, comparing Teddy Bridgewater's hand size to Jimmy Garoppolo's? Who can forget that? You know, uh, one was fine, and then the other one was, oh, you know, he's going to have a little bit of trouble in the NFL, you know. So that just goes to show you, you know, the mindset uh, of, you know, the, the way people, they will use a lot of different things to knock and to marginalize a black quarterback as to where they wouldn't with other quarterbacks. Um, you know, Teddy Bridgewater, again, he was the uh, epitome of a pocket passer, uh, and which is what everyone says that they want, but suddenly – a quarterback that scrambles, Johnny Manziel, come to, comes into the picture, and then the media and everyone is salivating over him. You know, but isn't Teddy Bridgewater the, the pocket passer that everyone says that they wanted? And all of a sudden, that changed when Johnny Manziel came into the picture. So that just goes to show you, when it comes to white quarterbacks, a lot of the times, scrambling and being able to move and being able to run is viewed as a positive and we're still left wondering why that is um i brought up earlier the example of jeff driscoll he ran that four five at the combine not a soul asked him about playing wide receiver but four eight running trevon boykin steps up to the podium and everybody continues to ask him you know repeatedly about playing wide receiver at the next level um and, and that's something that absolutely has to stop uh miss trubisky uh, he started one season at UNC. Uh, he some way, somehow was elevated over Deshaun Watson for the number one quarterback in the draft class. Um, we still are wondering why. <laughs> why did that happen? Um, you know, that, that, that's inexcusable. Um, and we can still talk about that same draft class. Uh, Gerard Evans, who was also a one-year starter, uh, had comparable stats to Mr. Bisky. Um, you know, that – some way, somehow, he's he's gone. He goes undrafted. He beat Mitch Trubisky head to head. Um, Watch that tape. Yeah, <laughs> and, and, and then also on top of that, you know, his team went to the ACC championship game. Um, so you know, that's another example. Um, Marquise Williams, uh, the quarterback who kept Mitch Trubisky on the bench, uh, led UNC to the ACC championship game in 2015. Well, he also went undrafted. Why is that? You can tell me he's not a first-round draft pick. You can tell me he's not a second, third, or fourth-round draft pick for a guy like that to go undrafted. Just off merit alone, that, that just doesn't make any sense to me. Um, 
last, but finally not, uh, but but not least, uh, Lamar Jackson. Uh, he, for all intents and purposes, I think a lot of us can agree that he's the best quarterback in the country. Uh, I I don't see. I mean, I like Rosen a lot. I think he's the only other first round quarterback. Lamar Jackson, in my opinion, best quarterback in the country. No one's talking about him. I just watched Mike and Mike this morning. They got done. They they spoke for 15 minutes. I kid you not about college quarterbacks. Lamar Jackson was not mentioned one single time, um, and, and that he he doesn't he doesn't have any help on either side of the ball, offense or defense, right now at Louisville, and no one gives him the weapons excuse. It it doesn't happen. No one says, "Oh, he doesn't have weapons. He doesn't have weapons." But you look at Josh Josh Allen. People routinely make excuses for him. Um, and saying that he doesn't have a supporting cast. Um, and, and that just minimizes the sting of his failures. And, and I understand what they're trying to do, but essentially what is happening here is that they're blowing one candle out from one prospect to make the other shine brighter. And they don't look good. The people in the media that are doing that right now are propping up Josh Allen. You don't look good right now when you continually use every little thing that you possibly can against Lamar Jackson, who is heads and tails better than any other quarterback, college quarterback in the country right now. It just simply doesn't add up. Just to add a little bit more uh, meat to your, to your point, Brandon, it's remember how size was always the issue. Well, you know, these guys run around and they're not the, you know, they can't hold up in the NFL and it's just kind of scrambling. Yada, yada, yada. <laughs> and, and, but here come this dude, this 6'5", 250-pound pocket rocket on passer <laughs> in Cardell Jones. And all of right. a sudden, oh, well, I mean, we kind of want the guy that could move around. And, you know, I know you won a championship, but, uh, you know, kind of want the guy that scrambling on the Johnny Manziel type cat. You know what I'm saying? All of a sudden now, the, proto- the prototype is not the prototype. Right. You know, so that one has moved. And I just find that to be utterly hilarious because he is the epitome of what they want. And you brought up Teddy Bridgewater, who was the perfect pocket passer uh, that had the mobile skills, but was mostly a pocket passer. You brought up Johnny Manziel, but also in that draft out of nowhere, Blake Bortles became the next Roethlisberger. Thank you. And everybody was like, wait a minute, where is this coming from? And then both bypass Bridgewater and go in the first round. And Bridgewater had to be saved by the Minnesota Vikings. That's all the Vikings. Let, let, Trade let it me, up for him. Let me tell you something real quick, though. I remember talking to Gil Brandt at Super Bowl Media Day. He didn't have a clue about Blake Bortles. Later on in February – he had Blake Bortles as the the top quarterback in his draft class. Mm. What 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 changed? That's <laughs> I, I mean, last time I checked, from Super Bowl to February, there was no games played. So my thing is, how do you go from unknown to the best prospect without playing the very sport that you're being evaluated upon? That's the thing that confuses me. And then just to add one other thing, because, Brandon, you mentioned weapons, right? Right. Let's let's talk about the double standard, right? Last year, 
all people talked about, oh, well, the only reason Dak Prescott is good <laughs> is because he has Michael Irvin, a.k.a. Des Bryant, and Hall of Famer Ezekiel Elliott at running back and the Great Wall of China blocking for him. <laughs> Okay, that's cool. He he has things in place, but how do we forget about and remember quarterback is a thinking position, right? That's what we say it is. How do we forget about the guy who who is there at the line and has to survey the defense and checks to a different play? We give credit so much to Ezekiel Elliott, but why don't you give credit to the guy who placed the table for Elliott to be able to run against a favorable situation from the defense? Right. And then you turn around. Oh, and, and, and mind you, Dak Prescott had to deliver the footballs that Jason Witten caught and, and, and that Des Bryant caught also. And we're, we're not going to overlook the fact that the team was terrible the year before with Tony Romo. Right. right. I, I mean, so, I, I'm just I'm just talking from a perspective of, of watching the game. And then you turn around and. When you compare Prescott to Carson Wentz, and it's it's a shame because you can't say both quarterbacks are good, right? One has to suck while the other is good. And most of the times, the guy that they say sucks is Dak Prescott. But what was the rallying cry for Carson Wentz last year? Well, you know, he needs his right tackle, and he has to have more weapons he didn't have anybody to throw the football to nelson agler was there last year zach Ertz was was there last year jordan matthews you know was there last these are valid guys that he could throw the football to so so bros why is it that the weapons thing works for dak prescott but it's not something that you use to penalize carson wentz both of which are good quarterbacks I will add to me to what Teron just said because he had excellent points. We will get to see what the double standard will be over the next seven weeks when Zeke Elliott is not there and Dak Prescott will still be one of the top quarterbacks in the NFL. We will also get to see how this narrative is pushed in year two for Carson Wentz, who, again, I think he's a good quarterback. I don't think he's as good as Dak Prescott. That's neither here nor there. But seven weeks into the season, every time I heard Carson Wentz name, it's, MVP candidate. I never heard that once for a seven and one or six and one Dak Prescott in year one as a rookie getting it done. That's neither here nor there. The other portion, if we circle it back to Teddy Bridgewater, when is the last time you heard such a big deal made about a pro day over any bit of tape or game ever played? It was only because he struggled and Johnny Manziel did well. Everything was, well, the pro day was bad. Okay, and he's really bad at Madden football too, but I want him to actually throw the ball on game day, and he could do that. So it it feels like if there is some place to nitpick, it will be picked like a scab that will never heal. It, 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 it's super frustrating that that is the quote-unquote double standard to circle back to, to, uh, to uh, Brandon's question. But 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 Johnny Manziel did his pro day with 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 his shoulder pads on. You know that gave us a better example of how things would be. Get out of here, man! Exactly. So now that we've looked at a lot of different things, you know, regarding the double standard, 
Um, what I wanted to get you guys' uh, opinion about was how a quarterback class led by Deshaun Watson was constantly downplayed and told to have the, the eye on the future with guys like Josh Ro Rosen, um, Allen, and some of these other quarterbacks coming out. So the 2017 class was frowned upon, but this 2018 Sam Darnold class has been a great light shined on. So, so why is that? Ooh, that's a good question. And um, it was, it, it was very frustrating to watch this uh, past draft process. And um, the reason I say that is because uh, I saw someone that, that put a, a meme together and they said, watch how they tell you that this year's draft class is the worst draft class in history. And then what it showed you was, you know, the three top quarterbacks in that draft class, which were, you know, Deshaun Watson, uh, Mahomes, and um, then you had um, Kaiser in there. And they said, watch how they tell you that this is the worst draft class, you know, in history. Um, and all you heard leading up to the draft is about how poor this draft class was, how it's tough to project them because of the offenses that they come from and things of that nature. So they tried to make it seem as though it was a pro-style offense versus a spread offense type deal when that didn't stop, you know, other air raid quarterbacks from being selected high. So, you know, it wasn't about that at all. And so, um, you know, what they did was they went and, and crowned a Mitchell Trubisky. And you wonder why that is. And um, I'm still scratching my head over it. This is a guy that had one year of production. Deshaun Watson nearly won the, NC, won the NCAA championship twice. Nearly won it twice. Won it once. Beat Bama his final year there at Clemson. And then you see what they do to Lamar Jackson. And they're elevating all these other quarterbacks over him to the point where you rarely hear him discussed. And it's so frustrating because when it's time for black quarterbacks to get their money, everything about them is nitpicked. It's they're, they're mental midgets all of a sudden. You know, they, they don't understand pro-style offenses. Uh, suddenly they're, they're super inaccurate, you know, compared to their white counterparts. And it's very frustrating to watch. And you, it just goes back to, again, the double standard that continues to be applied to black quarterbacks. And, um, you know, and that's why we're continuing to have this discussion so that it just opens the minds of others to let them understand this is exactly what happens to black quarterbacks perennially. This is not something that just happened last year. This has happened years prior to Pat Mahomes, years prior to, uh, Deshaun Watson, you know, th this continues to happen and we need to have this conversation so that we can hopefully in the future, you know, that prevent this from happening with the with talent evaluation and get talent evaluation where it needs to be. Um, just to jump in. So this is the perfect scenario to have one draft class be right before the other, because every guy that they're talking about, there is a comparable and everyone in the 2017 class is better than 2018. Let's go one by one. So you want big, strong, some sort of athletic, right? Well, that's Josh Allen, apparently, and Deshaun Kaiser. Except one guy plays for a smaller school. No knock on the smaller school, but it's always a question of competition. 
Deshaun Kaiser, didn't he lead a team to a Fiesta Bowl? I, I mean, I know he went four and eight, but didn't he lead him to a Fiesta Bowl also? So Kaiser's better. Let's move to the next guy. There's a guy who, and again, I think he's a solid quarterback, but he's got a lot of inefficiencies in his game, and he probably needs to go back to school, and that's Sam Darnold. He's praised for moving in the pocket and having, you know, throwing from weird planes. Well, there's a guy who does it a lot better, and his name's Pat Mahomes. Pat Mahomes, they had to ask questions about whether or not Pat Mahomes coming from XYZ offense could do whatever. I don't care. That dude is dealing and doing exactly what you praise Sam Darnold for having done last year because he's damn sure not doing it this year. And you look at the guy who is the prototype, the guy who he seems like he can lead a franchise, even though this guy is not on a winning team. That's Josh Rosen. And then there's Deshaun Watson, who, by the way, I'm going to make a sacrilege comment as an ex-Gator. He's better than Tim Tebow as a collegiate quarterback. If you look at the resume and what he did to Nick Saban twice, you ask Nick Saban in a, in a room on a, on, on a polygraph, he'll tell you he's better than Tim Tebow. So anyway, you have Deshaun Watson, perennial winner. He's got the size. He's not short. He's not willfully, uh, woefully thin. Off the field, the dude graduated in two and a half years, got his roommate to graduate early, qualified for the Senior Bowl, while the guy who is two years older than him, Mitch Trubisky, didn't. Never had an issue off the field and on the field as a winner. Everything you ask for in a package, well, I don't know if he's the number one pick. What? So you look at that class degrading, you look at this class, and you say, name a quarterback in this class that is truly better than the prototype that was out the year prior. You can't. And you won't find that unless his name is Lamar Jackson, by the way. <laughs> what's, what's funny, man, is you guys are all right. And last year, I tweeted this out, too. I thought this was – I said, don't let people tell you that this class is not good. I mean, my top 11 quarterbacks last year, Deshaun Watson, Pat Mahomes, Kaiser, Phillip Walker, who's with the Colts, Gerard Evans, who's practice squad with the Packers, David Washington of Old Dominion, who's now in the CFL. Alex Torgerson, who's now – I think he's with the Redskins. Uh, Josh Dobbs, who's with the Steelers. Josh Strong, who's up in the CFL. And Nathan Peterman, who's with the Bills and Mitch Trubisky. And I was like, wait a minute. There wasn't that much separating the top three from the rest of this, the, the other eight. This was a deep and good quarterback class. I struggled to find five quarterbacks that are worthy of first and second round picks the only two i really like in this in this perceived draft eligible class is lamar jackson and josh rosen and even darnold is i can understand why you would like darnold you know he, he has a little bit of you know uh toughness about his game he, he's not he's not scared you know i'll take the quarterback that's not scared any day of the week i don't care if you are you, you don't have to be physically talented i like a kellen moore because I know he's not no punk, you know. So when you look at all these quarterbacks, I'm like, wow, this was a 2017 was a really good class. You know, you even get a guy in the sixth round like uh, Brad Kaya that was halfway decent. So now I struggle to find who's going to go, who's all these quarterbacks that they're propping up. Like, you know, you guys like your Mason Rudolph or your Luke Falk or uh, other cats like uh, Mayfield. You know, I just find it interesting that they quickly said this, the 2017 class was dirt trash, but this, oh, wait till next year, 2018. And you look at 2018 and it doesn't hold a candle 
to the top 12 to 13 quarterbacks from last year, you know, obviously according to my grade, but just in general, when you watch them play, there's no way in hell those, these dudes this year are better than these dudes last year. And it's a shame because they didn't, and we all know the reason why, because last year's class at the top didn't look like what was perceived to be this year's class at the top. So let's say the top three, Watson, Mahomes, Kaiser, right? This year's top three perceived was Rosen, Darnold, and uh, it was Mason Rudolph at first. Then it was Lamar Jackson. Then Mason Rudolph went out. It was Luke Falk. Then it went, then, okay, maybe we can't put Lamar Jackson there. Then it went from Luke Falk to a kid from Western Kentucky. They're struggling, trying to keep moving people up. And then the two the top guys started to be trash. And they were like, well, well, well uh, maybe it's somebody else. You know, and they kept trying to, Baker Mayfield now is a clear cut number one, right? Uh-huh. Be, but it's not Lamar Jackson. When he is the clear, he's the, he's been the most consistent. Um, so you know why they tried to downgrade last year's group? Because they thought this year's group was going to perform the same way they did last year, but it looked better, quote unquote. It looked appealing. Uh, but last year's group, top to bottom, was light years better. And because it didn't look like the quote unquote standard or prototype, they knocked it. Well, of course they knocked it because that's what happens. That's what that's what we're accustomed to seeing in today's football society when it comes to the quarterback. Um. Let's not make any mistake about it. You, when you're talking about Deshaun Watson, you're talking about someone putting together arguably one of the best um, college football resumes ever without, a, without a, a smell of controversy, without a hint of dissension from between him and the coach. Remember some of these wonder kids that they, that they had coming out, Christian Hackenberg, how he, um, how he threw his coach under the bus because he played horrible. You never heard anything negative about Deshaun Watson. All you ever heard was good things. What, what did you hear negative about Patrick Mahomes? Nothing. You know why? Because there was nothing negative to talk about. He came from money, and yet he was still hungry. He was a he was a he was a kid of a of a of a MLB pitcher. He could have easily been a baseball pitcher if he wanted to. He's got a rocket for an arm. He chose to be a he chose to be a football player. He didn't go try baseball out, fail. And then come back to football like, um, you know, a Brandon Whedon or a Chris Winkie. He he said right off the bat, I'm a football player. I'm choosing football first. He was not for it. Kaiser, Kaiser knew, and and this is to his this is to his credit. He knew that he was mismanaged his last year at Notre Dame. He knew that his coach and his coach even came out and admitted that he didn't do things in the program the way he really should have to have his program prepared to be the best that they can. And you see now that since um since Kelly has re has read Brian Kelly rededicated himself to just being a football coach, how much better Notre Dame is this year than they were last year. Um and so he said, you know what, why come back for another year? I might as well go pro and get professional um training from from a guy that come back um and, and get training from a guy who's A trying to always replace me. And B, who is out trying to, to to get money from boosters. So you look at those three guys and you say, okay, those three guys are phenomenal. Those three guys have a chance to be great. Then you look at 2018 and you go, because you didn't name you didn't name Josh Allen Emery. And Josh Allen was referred to 
by the one of the supposed gold standard in 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 evaluation Todd McShay as probably the the most what was he said the most gifted quarterback prospect he's seen in the last decade Josh Allen who can't elevate Wyoming he can't elevate Wyoming to to be able to compete with North Dakota State and yet this dude is supposed to be the next coming of uh, of John Elway, guess what? The next coming of John Elway is already in the league. His name's Jameis Winston. Huh. Oh, he's supposed to be the next. He's supposed to be the next Tom Brady. No, there's never going to be another Tom Brady. You know why? Because Tom Brady's effing good. You know what? He's not going to be Aaron Rodgers. You know why? Because there is no other Aaron Rodgers. You know who Aaron Rodgers was? It was Warren Moon. We don't talk about it, but that's who Aaron Rodgers is. Aaron Rodgers is Warren Moon, yet. We don't want to compare white quarterbacks to black quarterbacks because that's sacrilegious. We want to always compare black quarterbacks to black quarterbacks. So who were some of the comparisons that we're getting in this year? Oh, um, Josh, um, you know, Josh Allen. He he's he's big, he's athletic, he keeps plays alive. He must be like Aaron Rodgers. No, he's not. Aaron Rodgers is a smart football player. Josh Allen's dumb as hell. Look at the way he plays the game. He's not a smart football player. Oh, Sam Darnold. You know, he, he's he got that moxie. He's got that Brett Favre in him. No, he doesn't. Brett Favre could throw the ball through a Cheerio. Brett Favre has, a, has one of the strongest arms. And on the sneak, Brett Favre had the competitiveness to want to cut your heart out. Sam Darnold sometimes looks like he don't want to be there. Like, he, like, like, like the lights are too big for him at times. And all this time we're hearing about how great these quarterbacks are in this 2018 class, yet all of their teams suck. <laughs> Come on, dude. <laughs> like, wait, wait a minute. Texas Tech was really good last year. Amazing. They had a, they had a first-round quarterback. Clemson was really good last year. They won a national title. They've never done that. Guess what? They had an all-time great at quarterback. Two years ago, Notre Dame was really good. Guess what? They had a first-round quarterback. Even North Carolina, hey, they were good. Oh, wait a minute. They were always good. They had a black quarterback before. They had another guy come in and just keep doing what they were doing. Okay, that's cool. This year, Donald, USC sucks. UCLA, Josh Rosen, he sucks. Oh, excuse me, his team sucks. Wyoming, they suck. They're not even playing anybody. Oklahoma State, are they good? I mean, the one test they got, they lost. So are they actually good? I mean, I don't know. Washington State got rolled because why? Because Luke Falk played somewhat of a defense and all of a sudden forgot how to throw touchdowns. And got benched. I mean, you know what I'm saying? Oh, excuse me. He got benched in that game too. Yeah, but he's a first-round pick. Meanwhile, Lamar Jackson's sitting over there, you know, rolling up 300 yards passing and 100-plus yards rushing. And he doesn't even get spoken about. I mean, it's it's ridiculous. You can tell the double standard. For me, I see it like this. It was Deshaun, Deshaun Watson, everybody else. This year, it is Lamar Jackson. I'll give a nod to Josh Rosen because I've always kind of liked him as a number two guy and everybody else. But we but we we're sitting here going. Oh, my God, this 2018 class is really good. You know why? Because you can make Ken and Barbie sets with those quarterbacks. Couldn't make Ken and Barbie sets last year. 
You can't sell tickets to white to white um, fan holders and white people who sit on the 50-yard line selling them black quarterbacks all day. And, you know, that's that's of the utmost importance this this season because, you know, not only are these guys black and playing quarterback, they're protesting during the national anthem. Can't do that, right? The, the, the league has, has lost a lot of its uh, – glitz and glamour because of that but that's a topic for a different podcast Uh, I'm glad you mentioned some of the things that you mentioned because when you look at it I mean Deshaun Watson and and what he did over the last two years you go into the Alabama weight room I I guarantee you there's still a a wanted ad uh, you know with Deshaun Watson on it because he single-handedly gave that program as many fits as as anybody has in, in, in the past, you know, X amount of years. So end of the day is a double standard. And it's, it's just funny how they do everything to make up, you know, to put makeup on this, this 2018 class of quarterbacks who feature some guys who are just bottom line losers. And uh, last year you had a guy who was one of the most winning quarterbacks ever. And, he was downplayed, but it, it is what it is, and that's just another example of what we have here, and that's the double standard. Yeah, and it's and, and it's a shame because they try to label Josh Allen as the next Carson Wentz, but they ignore the fact that Wentz, you know, won a national championship at North Dakota State, and people say, "Oh, that's the FCS." Okay, fine, throw that out the window. But he also won all his big games. They didn't lose the FBS program when Wentz was a starting quarterback. His first start was a victory over an FBS team, Iowa State. They beat them. And Josh Allen struggles to beat Hawaii. So, I, you know, it's just they're forcing the issue with that, and it's just a shame. So. I don't care who's first or who last, but I know that y'all just better rock this at the drop of a dime, baby. The draft coded language, you know, it's like the, you know, it's the it's the best time of the year because you know it's coming, and you you know even though we clown it every year, you know it's coming. So, what are some of your common ones you've heard, and why is it still used so frequently in this day and age? This hasn't died out. It really hasn't died out, Emory, and it's actually funny. Um, my favorite, my favorite one, is oh well, you know he 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 is he breaks the pocket too soon that's my favorite he breaks the pocket too soon what does that mean he breaks the pocket does that does that mean that he's not willing to sit in the pocket and read a defense or does that mean he saw that the defense was so stupid and they left a giant lane open i'm gonna run for 15 to 25 yards instead of trying to throw the ball into a gap where there's there's a couple people standing and and maybe get it intercepted or batted away um because what the code tells you is is that he can't read a defense and he he gets nervous he has to leave but what the reality of it is is that most like most people can diagnose pretty quickly this place horrible this isn't going anywhere i need to get out of here before i get killed or 
I need to just pick up as many yards as I as I possibly can, which is, by the way, what Aaron Rodgers does most masterfully. He he'll he'll drop back, and as soon as he gets to his his third or his fifth or his seventh step, if he doesn't see what he's looking for, he's out of there. No one ever says that he breaks the pocket too soon, because that's what they use when they want to devalue what they consider to be a quote unquote running quarterback. You know, I'm going to follow up with that. And one of the things I, I always uh, get a kick out of is when they say, oh, well, the quarterback needs to make plays with his legs in order to be successful. <laughs> There's a guy this year, right, that uh, ha- has vaulted himself into MVP candidacy, obviously for multiple reasons, but one of the reasons is because he does guess what? eludes the pocket, makes plays with his legs, and will scramble for a first down on third and 11, or throw the ball to a receiver who turns his route up as he scrambles. But we say, oh, hey, he's Houdini. He is a guy who has found a way to use his athleticism to be a great quarterback. While that's true, why do we not say that for a Lamar Jackson, for a Cam Newton, for other guys who are able to make things happen with their feet? Why do we want to go about this process and say, you know, let's take away Cam Newton's legs and he's not as good? Why do we not do that for a guy like a Carson Wentz? That's really my question, and it's just funny how this this coded language, you, you know, if a guy doesn't, you know, have that that right complexion, he's going to be criticized for making a play with his legs. Third and 11, you break the pocket, you scramble for a first down, a step out of bounds before the defense could, could touch you, that's deflating. And – that's something that's a positive. So I, I just I, I don't get why we, we want to take that away for certain quarterbacks, but want to, you know, blow it up and put it on a, 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 a spectacle for others. So that, that's really my my comment. That's the one that really interests me. And it, it's just funny how that comes about every year. My coded language issue. And this is something that's actually reinforced even outside of football. There's always an intelligence versus naturalistic ability factor that's played in. I have yet to, and maybe I'm wrong, but there's software that actually tells you how many times in an article certain words are used for black people and white people. It's actually pretty sweet. You should look into it, folks. Google it. Anyway, I've never heard heady used to describe a play made by a black quarterback, and I'm still waiting. I've heard, oh, well, well, quick reactions or or things that translate only to the athletic ability. It's never, Oh, heady or uh, look really thinking on his feet. But that, that narrative seems to be pushed when a similar play that is based on both knowing the game and your athletic ability is made by a white quarterback, that narrative of intelligence or, uh, greater than intelligence, if that is continuously pushed, like you were saying with the Crisco, Emory, if you get familiarized with hearing something, it becomes fact, even if it's not. 
So when you keep getting an assessment that says black quarterbacks are only athletes and don't have the ability to think with these little subtle commentaries, you wonder why there is a general feeling about this position that actually exists. It's social conditioning. Absolutely. And uh, my, my favorite one uh, that, and this is an actual, I mean, and Matt Miller, who's, you know, guy Bleacher Report, he, you know, has ties with, with scouts and things of that nature. So my favorite one that he put out was um, something that, you know, Brett Bridgewater, obviously he had a wide receiver pigment. So uh, one scout allegedly told him that um, some way, somehow Bridgewater and Willie Beeman from any given Sunday were similar. So uh, this was the quote. It said, uh, he's a dynamic playmaker, but is he the guy you want running your offense? I mean, they and him comparing Bridgewater to Willie Beeman, they're very similar. So imagine that. Being compared to a fictitious, you know, character in a movie <laughs> and, to, and, some, and it's someone who doesn't even know you. And Emery, I know you've been around, uh, Teron as well, um, all of you, uh, when we go to Senior Bowl, things of that nature, um, when we go to games, you guys see these scouts. Hmm. Some of them look like they were some way, somehow grandfathered in or they, you know, know the right person. A lot of them, and you'd be surprised, have never played football in their lives. There are a few <laughs> that you can talk to and you can, you can pretty much tell right away that they don't know the game of football. Mm -hmm. And it's frustrating because some of them are also very sheltered. And these are the people who are tasked with going out learning about someone's character and sending that information back to, you know, the lead scout, GMs, people in power and positions of power to make decisions. And these quarterbacks' lives are being affected because the people, the information gatherers can't relate to these quarterbacks. So it's very frustrating to see these guys get knocked year over year because people can't either a relate to them or they don't know the game of football. So that, that's something that, you know, clearly, clearly we, we need to get better at and, and it does need to change. What's interesting is that when you don't know, you tend to revert back to what you've heard. And my old coach said this when I was a freshman and it stuck with me, you know, since then he said, don't tell me what you heard. Tell me what you know. And if you don't know, you go to what you heard, which could have been false. You know, like Chris brought up, you know, you hear it over time. You think it's fact, even when it's not real. And I had my girlfriend read excerpts from these draft guides from 2004 to 2012. And I just highlighted certain passages, no names, read these and over the course of eight years she was like wow this kind of reads the same thing i was like guess what color all of these quarterbacks are that this that these draft reports are talking about black so it didn't matter the year and then when you see some of the names it's even ridiculous to consider some guys mobile that you know couldn't move 
some guys strong arm that had the weakest arm, some guys that may have to move to another position that was the worst athlete. So it was just funny to see those things just immediately tagged. But one of my favorite ones is the whole, well, we don't know what he's going to do when he gets money. Like, wow. As if we're all, you know, good times, right? As we're all the Evans family, as if we're all dirt poor, as if we're all, uh, you know, product of a single parent home and, and with no father figures around. All of that is thrown out there. And we don't know who he's going to get when he got money. You know, he got the posse and, you know, he, he got his hanger owners and, you know, he made the size of as if these guys in corporate America that get these cushy jobs don't do the same thing. But Little Wall Street. Bingo. That's exactly where I'm going with that, Teron. And and that's that's what I hate the most because that right there, like you call me what you want, you know, but when you say that and, and I read that, you know, that to me is more of a slight to an entire race as opposed to but that drives home that social condition that Brandon talked about because they already think that we're all lazy, uh, shiftless, you know, um, animalistic creatures, and we can't think, reason, or build. So that when I see that, I get so upset because it's the same thing over and over again, and it just doesn't stop. And that's a great um, point, Emery, and it really is one that it gets it gets me upset, and I and I, I look at it from the standpoint of. It does. It almost doesn't matter what 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 kind of situation you come from. It for for Colin Kaepernick, it was oh well, he grew up in a um a, a pretty well off family. He was adopted into a well off family, so why should he have any reason to be, you know, motivated, or why should he even care about some of the stuff? As if like growing up in a growing up in a white family, all of a sudden didn't make him black. Still, you know, it's like. Mm. Wait a minute. No, I'm sorry. You don't know. My mom and my dad are white, so I'm okay. You don't have to. No, they don't. They don't see that. They just see a black man. So, um, I look at those things, and and even someone like Colin, like Colin Kaepernick, while he didn't go to a really small school, he he came from Nevada, and he was probably under, um, undervalued because he came from Nevada. Um, but outside of somebody like Steve McNair, who was still questioned. Um, when he came out of Alcorn State. Why is it that we don't see small college um, quarterbacks make that meteoric rise um, up to that first round um, when they're black like you see with their white counterparts? Yeah, you know, I'm going to go ahead and, and, and kick this one off. And, and for me, it's all about narrative, right? And we, we just talked about coded language and, and, and some of the double standards. And you look at a quarterback like Rich Gannon. OK, you go back to his days with Kansas City or even uh, look, look at when he was in Oakland. Right. You got John Gruden, you know, a guy who, hey, man, he's really fiery and, and he's someone who always brings the emotion. He loves football. Right. But he and Rich Gannon, they they butt heads and, and Rich Gannon curses him out on the sideline. And what, what do you say about Rich Gannon? Oh, you know, that's just his will to win. He wants to be great. But then you have another, and I'll just use a different position. T.O. Goes, goes wild because he's tired of running decoy routes, and they say, oh, well, he's just a me-first guy. 
it's just funny that double standard. And you you look at the double standard. I think Rich Gannon is an excellent example because at at, at Delaware, you know, this is a guy who excelled in the wing T offense, right? So where he's running the football, but it was okay, and and he was considered someone who could play at the next level. And I think it goes back to it. it it's just a narrative. Certain guys get certain things that, you know, are pulled out and they, and they drive them. You know, for Blake Bortles coming from UCF, all of a sudden he's in a couple meeting rooms and you see him at the combine and, and then you see him, you know, at, at a few draft things and they say, oh, well, you know, when he walked into the room, he just took the room over and all eyes went on his 6'5", 200 and whatever pound frame. Well, when Jameis Winston, I remember the combine, Jameis Winston came in and he, first thing he said on the mic was, I look good. And he just was very relaxed. He took over. I remember sitting there and I was literally captivated. I couldn't ask the dude a question because I was sitting there with my mouth open, just like, wow, he, he really took over this room. But yet we still questioned whether or not he should have been the first pick when a, a, a meager guy in in, in uh, Marcus Mariota, you know, what was considered competition for Winston. I just think it's all about narratives, man. That's the bottom line. Carson Wentz, you look at him, you know, he's a guy. Like, we were force-fed that he has a big arm. We were force-fed that that he's he's a leader and, and, and he's, he's a, a gamer. He's a winner. We were force-fed that. Now, he's shown that in his time that he's been in the league, but we were force-fed that. We had no choice but to believe that that was the case because it was stuffed down our throats. It's all about narrative. And when you look at guys like Steve McNair, when you look at guys that, that you know, came from a smaller school and didn't have as much hype, that's the bottom line. That's why. It's, it's the narrative that is pushed behind some of these guys. Josh Allen is a perfect example. And mentioning Steve McNair, I'm going to go on record and say something that I, I'm not even going to fact check, but I'm pretty sure I'm right. I think Steve McNair got a Heisman vote. Yes. Didn't even qualify. So that's how good Steve McNair was. But I'm going to refer to the Senior Bowl we, we just participated in. Uh, you know, every year they have to have someone to sell, especially from the quarterback position, because that's what you have to do. And nothing against the young man. I think that he did an okay job there. Uh, Nathan Peterman was kind of sold as that guy this year. But Antonio Pipkin, why didn't he get any pub coming from a smaller school? And he actually looked very efficient out there. Nothing said about him. It's as if he didn't even exist. He didn't even participate in the senior bowl. He basically pulled a forest lamp and wasn't there. That's the frustrating portion is that, as you stated, there's never that feel-good story. And it makes me feel like... The feel-good story is only there to feed a, a majority of the populace that can, the working-class white man who can kind of uh, attach themselves to that story. Well, that's all fine and good, and I'm okay if that's on a talk show, but this is affecting people's actual careers and their dollars, and these guys are never going to get a chance, unlike the other guy, to actually prove themselves because that narrative has been pushed, and now that person's marketable. You guys are really on to something, and I'm going to take it a, a, a step further. And not to, to call anyone out, but it's all about the perception that the media 
um, you know, gives off. It's all about, all about the narrative, as you said, Teron. And um, I think until you get a guy like a Lewis Riddick, to get him off of the guys like Savage, Tom Savage, and, you know, get him to stop talking about those type of guys. And then when who, – who, frankly, wasn't a very good quarterback in college and is not a very good quarterback right now. Until you get that guy, you know, who has a platform, you know, a national platform, and then you get him to start talking about the guys like Antonio Pipkin. You know, you get him to start talking about these other quarterbacks at the Senior Bowl. That's it. When you where, – where were all these guys talking about, you know, Dak Prescott, you know, when he was at the Senior Bowl? You know, you get all these people talking about the senior bowl is you know, you gotta participate in the senior bowl because you can elevate your draft stock. Didn't happen for Dak Prescott, did it? You know, and he so won MVP I, of that game. Exactly my point. So here's the deal. Until you can get more media members beginning to talk about mobile quarterbacks, black quarterbacks, and give them that push that they deserve, not just talk about them just because if, if they don't deserve it, they don't deserve it. But the players that we're discussing. They deserve that push. And if they don't get that, then they're just going to continue to fall by the wayside. And these quarterbacks that don't deserve to be elevated will continue to get just that. And that's when you'll see guys like Trubisky continue to get pushed when he doesn't deserve to be pushed over Deshaun Watson. It's still, you know, we're still waiting to see what Trubisky's going to be. I'm not saying that he won't be a, a solid quarterback in the NFL. You never know. But Right now, I mean, it, it was obvious then and it's obvious now that Deshaun Watson was heads and tails better than Mitchell Trubisky and Mitchell Trubisky had no business being taken over Deshaun Watson. So it's all about narrative and we control that and we just have to be able to, to, to be accountable and say, you know what, let's talk about the players that deserve to be talked about. Shout out to Bucky Brooks. They, you have... Um... Let's talk about that 2016 NFL draft class, right? Because it seems like it's always in my mentions uh, because of my rankings. And there were a couple of small school guys that people just couldn't understand why, you know. And and it's a shame because that class included a small school quarterback that went second overall in Carson Wentz. But there were a guy, there was a guy that I had rated real high, Dalen Williams. All I did was show you guys Dale and Williams' film, and every one of you came back and was like, man, this dude nice, right? This dude can play. This dude got talent. I even went up to Dartmouth uh, to watch him play live versus Cornell and then went back up there for his pro day. Loads of scouts there. Got word that he participated in the, the college gridiron, gridiron all-star game in Texas that he was the best quarterback there and heard from many scouts that he was a draftable guy, was actually high on two teams' draft boards. Those teams shall remain nameless. But I had to do as a second-round talent, you know. And when you watch him play, you saw pure quarterbacking. And it had nothing to do with color. It had nothing to do with size. It had nothing to do with where you went to school. It was based off talent. But you never heard that. You heard about, you know, Carson Wentz in North Dakota State. Well, Dartmouth is a Division I program, too, in the Ivy League. You didn't hear anything about that. You also saw a guy in Bad Lee who, if you want to draw comparisons on 
Vad Lee and what he was able to do. Vad Lee started at Georgia Tech, ran the triple option, but wanted to prove that he was a passer, went to JMU and broke records throwing the football. And then he had a foot injury, which is why he probably didn't get drafted. He goes to Giants camp, minicamp, uh, was the best quarterback there at the minicamp tryout, didn't get signed on, and now he's doing ministry work, uh, speaking at different schools, doing a great job in doing that. He also had spent time up in the up in the CFL with the Saskatchewan Rough Riders. We talked about the kid Kyle Washington from Angelo State. These guys were all in the same class as Carson Wentz at Division One and Division Two schools, but you did not hear them get talked about. And it was a shame because you also had it. Let's go to 2000. Uh, yeah, stay in that, that same class. You had Bernard Adams go from Eastern Washington over to Oregon. So he went and stepped up in competition, balled out in the Pac-12 at Oregon and was the all-star at the East-West Shrine game. And people just, those guys didn't get that push despite the enormous amount of tape, of positive tape, of them playing winning football, leading their teams to the playoffs and or bowl games or conference championships more than a guy that went number one overall at a power five school in Jared Goff. You did not see those guys get those put that that push. Um, but you saw a guy uh, in the 2015 class get that push from a small school who just got traded to San Francisco, Jimmy Garoppolo from Eastern Illinois, when he wasn't even the best FCS quarterback at that East-West Shrine game. It was Jeff Matthews from Cornell. So Teron is right. It's all about the narrative and who controls it. If you have a platform, don't misinform the public because they hang on you every word because they have every right to because you're on TV. They, they're entrusting you to give them good information, accurate information, all the information. And, and people always ask me, well, why do you have so so ranked he's on he's not on anybody's you know ranking board if my job as football game plan analyst is to give you information on what i've seen out there and who i think are the best talent i'm not going to work from the same list that has been given to you by people that i don't trust you know if they're giving you the same five names and you see the same people re-rank five names all over and over if i saw seven guys I'm going to put those seven guys in there and not put the five guys that everybody's been feeding you. I don't care if they get drafted or not, but it's just my job with this little platform that I have to give you a whole look at the picture. And I think a lot of those guys are, are getting not looked at because of that. We see a guy that's, he started out high, but you're not hearing a lot about this year. Um, and that's Devonte Kincaid out of Grambling, you know, and this quarterback class that's struggling for someone to step up, Here's a guy that's still performing the same way he performed last year uh, at Grambling, uh, led them to the Celebration Bowl, and is probably going to lead them to that <laughs> game again with the way they're playing. But you don't hear about Devontae Kincaid. The only person that was talking about him on a national scale was Bucky Brooks. So, Brandon, you're right. As as long as guys like Lewis Riddick and, and everyone else, they don't continue to push those those guys up, that deserve to be pushed up and talked about and, you know, brought attention to, because we all know I've shared emails with you guys that came from NFL teams that said, Hey, your scouting report on player X was dead on. You pegged it. Good job. You know, but so people would think like, Oh, you just out here boosting names. No, I'm just giving, you know, 
everyone that's playing college football that I've seen, that I've scouted, that I've evaluated a fair look and is not being done on the national scale. So that being said, I mean, we talked about the meteoric rise of, of, of some of these uh, small school guys, but, you know, let's look at some of these guys who came from, you know, quote unquote, legitimate schools. Taking a look at a guy like a Charlie Ward, Joey Hamilton, and some of the other quarterbacks who, who were before their time, would they have gotten a chance in this day and age? Okay, I'll, I'll jump in on this. Would they have gotten a chance? They would have gotten a chance to play in the NFL, but they damn sure wouldn't have gone in the first or second round. Uh, we already saw guys, a guy that has a very similar stature and even style of play as far as being a high-quality quarterback in clutch moments in the red zone and on third down, and Russell Wilson not go to the third round. Mm-hmm. So we know for sure that even though Charlie Ward was tall enough to play in the NBA somehow, uh, <laughs> Joe Hamilton would definitely be downgraded to a fifth-round or sixth-round flyer pick, even though if you watch Joe Hamilton back then, there's very few people that Bobby Bowden hated playing against. One was Michael Vick, and the other was Joe Hamilton. That's how good Joe Hamilton was. Yeah, I, I have to say I don't believe that either quarterback would have gotten a chance in today's NFL. Um, Chris, you, you gave the uh, Russell Wilson example. Um, look at how hard you know, they, they went at trying to deny Russell Wilson opportunity. And, and, you know, everything was about his size, you know, but you had a few, you had a guy in Pete Carroll who doesn't believe in the status quo. I had a good conversation with him Super Bowl weekend and, um, or during Super Bowl week rather. And he basically talked about how, look, if I believed in type this and a prototype that, I wouldn't be where I am today. And we need more coaches like a Pete Carroll, you know, guys that, just look at football and what's winning football, you know, and what, what can win you a football game. There's no one way to play the quarterback position. And I think that that's what people are missing. So when you hear this narrative, you got to win from the pocket, beat me with your mind. And you hear all these different phrases thrown around. Um, you have to understand that there's just no one way to play the quarterback position. And I feel like we've been cheated out of so many good players, you know, throughout history because of the way that we think about the quarterback position. And it's truly a shame. And I, I still feel today that Hamilton and Ward would not get that chance in the NFL. Yeah, they, they would get nitpicked to death. Uh, because when you look at Charlie Ward, you, you're looking exactly at, you know, a guy like Teddy Bridgewater, you know, and they knocked him for having skinny knees. Uh, you know, that was the first time I've ever heard something like that. <laughs> I'd rather you call me like a drug dealing, you know, jigaboo than to say I have skinny knees. Like I would have been if I was Bridgewater and heard that, like, yo, I what? Right. <laughs> like skinny, like you are you excuse me? You know, um, so now you have cats going to work on building their knees up. Like, I don't <laughs> I don't know. So it, I don't I, I think Charlie Ward, because he played like a lot like Bridgewater, probably would have gotten a chance. I thought he's a little bit before his time. Hamilton wouldn't have because of what we just they like Brandon said they barely wanted to give Russell Wilson a chance. We just talked about Dale and Williams, who was literally at five eleven. They wouldn't give him a chance. Tyrod Taylor is still trying to move out of Buffalo despite winning. 
you know, and I don't think those guys would have gotten that opportunity because remember, six two was supposed to be the magical height for Deshaun Watson. But if he came in at six one and three quarters, I don't know. But you know, they're quick to say every short quarterback is Drew Brees, like Johnny Manziel, like Baker Mayfield, you know. So I just find it interesting. So that's it for part two of our Behind the Chains, the misevaluation of the black quarterback. 360 discussion on the uniqueness of being a black quarterback in the constant struggle to succeed against a stacked deck for Tehran, Brandon, Gene, and Chris. I'm Emory Hunt, the czar of the playbook. Stay tuned for part three.